Welcome to Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities in the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers in order to meet decarbonization goals. If you're a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, and for this episode in particular, if you're working on decarbonization strategies, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, Joan Collins. And me, David Meisegaier. David, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Our younger son graduates from college on Thursday, so that's a oh. pretty big milestone. <laughs> that really is. That's exciting. And what about you? What's new in, with you? Oh, nothing much. It's getting hot here now um, in Scottsdale and Phoenix. So um, the the hikes are lessening, and <laughs> yeah, we're 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 doing a lot with work right now. So um, good stuff happening. Coming in but I think summer. maybe we should just dig in. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Today we welcome Rit Argawal. Rit is. New York City's Chief Climate Officer and the Commissioner of the Department of Environmental Protection. And we also have Luke Surowick. He's a Director of Building Decarbonization at ICF. And over the past decade, Luke has supported the New York City's Mayor Office of Sustainability with the implementation of their building support programs. So welcome, Rit and Luke. Thanks, David. Joan, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so excited to have you both on, and we're really looking forward to having a discussion with you two. We've been um, just looking forward to it around the practical steps that cities can take to meet their climate goals, specifically around building decarbonization from policy to implementation. And so, uh, lots to talk about. Definitely. What if we kick off the conversation by starting with, at least from New York City's perspective, the progression of local initiatives on the topic of building decarbonization? Thanks, David. Happy to do that. So, um, you know, New York City has been in the forefront of addressing uh, carbon emissions from buildings uh, for 15 years now. Um, it started with uh, it started with uh, some work in the in the 2000s, a, a law requiring city-owned buildings to be developed to energy efficient standards, but quickly progressed to focus on existing building retrofits. At the end of the day, New York is an old city. The the vast majority of the buildings we're going to have 50 years from now, we already have, right? And so, if we're going to reduce our carbon footprint, we have to do changes to existing structures. Um, about uh, in, in 2009, a set of laws were passed that, among other things, took local control of the energy code. The New York state allows the city to take control of the energy code as long as it's more aggressive um, than the state energy code. We did that. We also put in place a benchmarking law. Uh, New York and Seattle were the first two cities in the country to require that. Now, more than a dozen cities around the country require benchmarking as, as a responsibility of owning buildings. Um, and that's provided a tremendous amount of data that has led directly into where we are today with a law called Local Law 97, the Climate Mobilization Act of 2019, enacted shortly before the uh, pandemic that requires large buildings in New York City to meet carbon efficiency targets 
at two steps, the first one starting next year in 2024, but then a much bigger step required where three quarters of the covered buildings will actually have to make changes for 2030. Um, and that's critical because as is true for many cities, uh, buildings are the majority of New York City's carbon emissions. And so if we don't address buildings, we really can't make any progress. Hmm. Well, that so, 2030 yeah. goal is <laughs> significant. A lot of it sounds a little daunting. Luke, you you were going to talk a little bit about your involvement with this too, right? Absolutely, yeah. So as as you mentioned in my intro, I mean, ICF has been supporting the mayor's office um, and all of the great work that uh, Rich just outlined over the last decade or so. So I think New York City had the really the foresight to think about how to make policies successful in New York. And, and I think one way that we've been, you know, played a small part in that is, is by building out these support market support programs. So anytime there was uh, a new and aggressive policy with related to building decarbonization and improvements, there was a, a program that was set up by, by ICF to help building owners, property managers, really the industry sort of transform and, and better understand how to improve their buildings and provide you know, free support and free assistance with the process. Um, and, and that's been really successful in, in making sure these policies stick and to ensure that we have as close to 100% compliance with these laws as possible. Cool. So that tells a little bit about the, the what. I'm curious about the why. Britt, why, what, what is New York City's role? Like, why does New York City take this role? Well, I mean, I think the, the first answer to that is it's, it's a question of self-defense. You know, New York City has 500 miles of coastline. Um, we are already suffering the effects of climate change. We see it, you know, of course, 11 years ago, the city suffered Hurricane Sandy. Two years ago, we suffered from Hurricane Ida, which killed 11 New Yorkers um, because of the, the rainfall that we experienced. Um, we've got regular flooding now in, in certain parts of the city when we have extreme storms. We have the threat of drought uh, that, that is going to require my agency, DEP, which manages New York City's water system to make significant investments over the next 10 and 20 years. So basically, we've got to do something. And, you know, the, it's kind of common sense that that if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. And so while we have got to take a significant set of actions to make New York City resilient to climate change, it is equally important for New York City to be at the forefront of reducing uh, carbon emissions and therefore bringing an end uh, eventually to climate change. That's that's pretty. I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you say it um, and, and pretty cool. And when so, you when you before, oh, sorry, David, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, you go. I just, I was still kind of lingering on um, kind of earlier discussion around data. I just kind of wanted to unpack that a little bit and the importance of data and how that can progress um, into actually implementing programs. And I'm, I'm sure there's there's a, a uniqueness around, especially New York City with some of the, the buildings and the multifamily buildings kind of the profile of, of 
uh, New York City. Well, certainly, Joan, New York's um, building profile is is somewhat unique. I mean, we've got a lot in common, for example, with Chicago, with Washington, with Boston, um, basically all old cities that have uh, a lot of apartment buildings we've got a lot of similarities to. And, you know, the reality is people don't appreciate that, um, you know, while most New Yorkers live in apartments, it is still the case that the majority of buildings in New York City are, in fact, single family homes. So in New York, we have about a million buildings um, and more than 700,000 of them are one to four family homes. Uh, so in that sense, we're we're relatively normal. What you have in some cases is given New York's uh, unique economy, you know, we have, frankly, a lot more television studios. We have a lot more trading floors than the average American central business district would have. And so that affects our energy consumption to a certain extent. But what's what's actually fantastic uh, in terms of data gathering is that the EPA's portfolio manager tool does work pretty well for the whole country. Um, and it allows us to compare uh, our buildings against each other or against their historic performance, but also to look how we to, to see how we stand uh, across the country. And that's actually um, really important. One of the other things we find um, is that, you know, most real estate firms don't operate just in one market anymore. Um, and so now that so many cities have adopted similar requirements in terms of benchmarking, the team that manages XYZ real estate companies portfolio in San Francisco can hear from the team in New York about how they do their benchmarking. Um, and it turns out it's not that hard. When it first came in a decade or so ago, people thought that was going to be a real uh, difficult thing to do. And of course, as with most things, it looks scary at the outset. And it turns out not to be that difficult at all. And just something to add on the data front, I think uh, given the wealth of information um, that New York City has been gathering over the last you know, decade plus, we're able to really pinpoint you know, where the progression of buildings, decarbonization and energy reduction efforts and use that data really to help target um, uh, not only buildings that are, you know, best uh, that have the best opportunities for reductions, but also, you know, in terms of the actual conservation measures that they can consider, which helps us um, in our day to day in implementing programs like the NYC Accelerator, which really, you know, helps support buildings with with recommendations that are building specific, and it helps us to capture uh, from an uh, from a impact assessment case, like how they are going to be, you know, meeting some of these aggressive building decarbonization laws. And as Rick mentioned, you know, I think with the national perspective, building portfolio owners and managers, whether it's cities looking at, you know, laws that are similar to local law 97 or, or doing this voluntarily, I think the pat, the really the march towards uh, net zero and decarbonization of portfolios um, has 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 started and it's well on its way. So data seems pretty central to understanding where you are uh, and to give you insights as to the types of things, at least at a building by building level, you need to tackle. How has that shaped? The, your, your strategy as as you've uh, like 
developed the local law ninety seven like was was the data and and what you you saw fundamental to developing that or well, completely because you know if you don't have the benchmarking data, you have no idea you're you're flying blind, right? You have no idea once you start imposing targets on buildings, you don't know what the baseline ought to be. You don't know which buildings are your outliers. You don't know how heavy a lift this is. Is this all buildings are going to have to do things? Is this some subsegment are going to have to do things? You can't even bucket them based on building type, multifamily, commercial, or um, importantly, things like what kind of fuel they use for heating. Is it an electric heat building, a gas heat building, an oil heat building, right? Or a steam heat building, because we have central steam in New York City as well. Um, and with that data that these buildings have been filing for several years now, we also can identify specifically, like down to the individual building level, who is at risk of having to pay significant fines. And so that, you know, that's what uh, mm. the NYC accelerator is so important for us. It's going to allow us to target those buildings that really have a, a heavy lift ahead of them, get them engaged so that it isn't an after the fact uh, surprise, because, you know, we all know especially in a large building, uh, a retrofit project, that's not something you do in a couple of months, right? It's got to get put in a capital budget. There's going to be design work. There's contracting work. It takes, a, it takes a couple of years to get a big project like this done, especially where um, for, for the 2030 targets, we expect a lot of buildings are, have, are going to have to go fully electric in order to meet their 2030 targets. That's a big, big piece of work. They need to know in advance. It can't be the kind of thing where they get a notice in the mail saying, oops, based on your tax return, like it looks your looks like you're over budget. It can't be that way. It's it's got to be something where people um, people are alerted well in advance. Can you talk a little bit more about the New York City Accelerator for those that aren't familiar with it? Just as I described earlier, since the inception of the program, in 2021, which actually, in my view, is the third iteration of the program, which has supported the rollout of New York City's building laws over the past decade or so. So since about 2021, we've activated over 13,000 buildings across New York City. Um, about half of those have already completed decarbonization projects. Uh, and we support decision makers with project implementation and decarbonization planning. And of course, with local law 97 or you know building performance standard planning, the way we do that is by engaging and meeting participants where they are. We help folks understand where they stand in relation to 97, you know, are they facing fines? If so, how much, what can they do, et cetera based on the thousands of data points that we have ingested on every building, we have very specific recommendations as to the kinds of projects and opportunities buildings should consider. Uh, we have recommendations for service providers or vendors that can take the participant to the next step, which is actually usually participating in an energy efficiency incentive program uh, through our local partners like the utilities or state programs or to consider project financing to fill gaps on top of uh, incentives that might be available. So our role in the market is essentially to activate the project by finding the lead, 
planting the seed about projects and laws that should be considered, help folks plan for ways to comply with the increasingly stringent laws, and then just help them all the way through the implementation of the retrofits and plans. Uh, for buildings that have to comply with 97, uh, obviously that becomes a major driver, but we also help other buildings. Smaller buildings are those that aren't concerned with it. Um, and obviously they're reducing energy waste, improving comfort, increasing property values are other major drivers, especially as the law really begins to highlight the inefficiencies that um, are present in many of our buildings, which uh, many buyers are catching on to. Cool. So, and and basically this is like the support mechanism to help the building owners, operators figure out uh, how to get to the next step. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think as other cities look and consider similar building performance standards, you know, I think um, New York City, our New York City experience here has been that you really, um, you really need, you know, the, the three things that we've been sort of talking about here, which is, you know, have a data driven approach um, and have that data foundation. Um, also, you know, implementing the policy through really a stakeholder driven process. And then having a strong, you know, Department of Buildings, we could talk a little bit about that in a moment, but a strong Department of Buildings to help us enforce the law. And then um, the, uh, a separate entity like the NYC Accelerator to support the market. It's nice to have that separation so that, um, you know, we we have uh, really the, the, the support structure to, to make these policies um, be successful. And looking ahead, what's something exciting that that you're both seeing on your your radars that you might like to talk about or share? Well, I guess one thing i'll I'll point out is I think that, well, two things actually. One is, um, I think the deadline getting closer has focused people's attention. Um, I think uh, you know, and probably for the first couple of years, then, of course, the pandemic, um, distracted everybody. I think there was uh, awareness of this law only among a certain subsegment of the building industry. You know, the the folks with professional managers, so the people managing Class A portfolios, the the really well managed um, uh, portfolios of of multifamily. But you know, let's face it, the average condo, the average co op. They weren't paying a lot of attention. I think that's beginning to change. Um, I think we're seeing uh, in in the co-op and condo space, we're seeing management companies be much more um, proactive in terms of getting boards, co-op boards and condo boards to focus on on this. Um, I think we're seeing much more widespread uh, awareness among the smaller uh, portfolios, which is great. Um, the other thing that's actually just super important is what's going on at the federal government. Um, right. Yeah. You know, the Inflation Reduction Act has huge uh, pots of money to help building owners do this kind of work. You know, whether it's at um, whether it's around putting solar on rooftops, 
whether it's around changing uh, appliances from gas to electric and like getting rid of the, the stoves that create terrible indoor air pollution from from gas stoves that we've all used for such a long time and getting the state-of-the-art induction cooktops that everybody really ought to have just as a public health measure, let alone as a uh, as a climate change measure. There's a lot of money in the IRA um, for building owners. So one of the critical things we're going to be doing is working uh, with the accelerator um, on those things that buildings can go ahead and apply directly for because they're in the form of a refundable tax credit or something like that. But then we are also going to be seeking to work with New York State because there are large pots of money through the IRA that the state governments are going to program. And we'd like to make sure that New York State designs a program that's directly uh, helpful to um, buildings that have to comply with Local Law 97. I think that will be a huge uh, game changer. That's wonderful. <laughs> Before Luke answers, I was curious, as you see some of those smaller entities really become aware of the the law and the need to change, do you do you see pushback at all? And if so, how do you address that? I think um, what's been in, what's been really encouraging is that we've been seeing a lot more building owners and a lot more um you know lo decision makers at the building level not just their property managers who's you know professionally who are professionally responsible for compliance really become engaged in working with the nyc accelerator and really you know understanding the critical need to move forward and to you know reduce the impacts of climate change in new york everyone's you know ha a lot of folks have um, experienced it firsthand um, but yeah there certainly will be some pushback as with some of the other policies um, there is certainly a, a a healthy amount of pushback but part of the reason why we uh, or the reason we have these programs programs to support the market is exactly to address uh, the pushback and to provide a really a helpful hand to to those that may be thinking about these things for the first time and really bringing together all of the resources that are available across the entire market and many more you know opportunities like Rick just mentioned with with IRA and federal funding are really on their way. So we're excited about that. Everyone we've talked to talks so much about the importance of local um, participants, right? And it just seems so clear how important the role of cities is in this conversation. And um, it's nice to know that models are being set for other cities to follow um, and that the initiative is, is like a wave. <laughs> it's, it feels that way in this discussion and, and certainly in some of the initiatives that we're seeing across the country. Yeah, you know, look, I think, uh, you know, cities play such an important role, um, not in everything. You know, as we know, the energy grid is primarily managed at either the state or the ISO level. Um, there are some things that really need to be done only at the federal level. But at, you know, at the end of the day, real estate is a local industry. Right. 
And it's one of the reasons I think that um, city action on energy efficiency in buildings is so important because the real estate industry in a given city, they talk to each other, they'll move together. They're going to be much more attuned to what their mayor or their city government is saying, frankly, than to what their state or their uh, or the federal government is saying, just because local policy is what what makes real estate. Um, and so that's why it's so important for the for cities to play an aggressive leading role um, on energy efficiency in buildings. David, did you have any other questions or or do our guests have any questions before we kind of get to our final one here? I can't believe the as always the time flies. Yeah, it has. No, I've learned a lot. Uh, but I think it's time for your wrap up question. Feels like we barely touched the surface. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd love to present present this question to each of you, um, both Rit and Luke. Maybe um, maybe we'll start with Rit. Um, and that's if you could do one thing to impact change, no limits, what would you do? Well, on the topic of buildings, uh, I'd certainly love to find a way to make retrofits faster um, and less disruptive. You know, the the advent of plug and play one stop shop solutions in the world of technology and consumer goods, things like that um, are what allow people to make very fast changes, right? I mean, you think about how quickly basically, you know, most everybody on earth got hold of a smartphone over the course of 10 or 15 years, right? We're gonna be lucky to retrofit New York City's buildings um, on that timetable, right? And it had to do with, Kind of figuring out an easy way to get to scale, an easy way to uh, build an infrastructure, um, and so I think the, the the actual logistics of delivering change within buildings is an area that that we desperately need to see innovation. Couldn't agree more. Luke, what's yours? You, so um, I'll, I'll continue with the on the on the same uh, sort of wavelength of speed, but slightly different perspective. So I, you know, if I had a, a magic wand and you know could could uh, help to move things along a little bit faster on the valuation side and sort of the <laughs> realization um, that I kind of mentioned earlier. I mean, with the you know local government push across the country and with um, you know, really uh, government just understanding the, the important role that they play in, in climate change and real estate industry. And, you know, it's it's been pretty clear that some of the, the most impactful and biggest companies have already, um, whether it's because of those signals or, you know, other altruistic reasons are really committing to decarbonizing their entire portfolios. Um, again, sometimes it's voluntary and sometimes it's it's because of the the writing is really on the wall when you look at uh, across the biggest cities and some of the policies that we've been talking about today. The faster uh, building owners and portfolio managers realize that um, decarbonization and um, cost effective, you know, efficiency gains um, could really be met uh, with a lot of Things that we know today, uh, you know, traditional energy efficiency, uh, distributed energy, and so forth, uh, the, the the quicker they will 
really see asset value increases. Um, and again, the, the faster we can uh, get to net zero across these portfolios, across our buildings and cities and states, um, the, the, the faster um, we will get to, you know, this clean energy and cleaner world uh, and a future that we hope we all hope for. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation and very eye-opening to see the role that cities can play in climate change and the importance of that local connection. I love the formula that you guys have put together in New York City, Rit, with benchmarking to understand where you are, putting laws in place to require people to change, but then giving them support such as through the accelerator. So you really have both the carrot and the stick. Uh, and then tying in, as you mentioned, the state and federal incentives that can really help uh, people accomplish uh, the goals that you put in front of them. So very uh, winning strategy and be excited to see how things progress as you get closer to your first deadline coming up here in 2024. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, we'd sure appreciate you liking, sharing, and even subscribing to our podcast. And we were so honored to have both of our guests on today. And we hope those that are listening stay tuned for our next episode as we've invited ChatGPT as our guest, as well as Dick Lang, who's ICF's Innovation Strategy and Services Lead, to talk about artificial intelligence. Hey, maybe that could speed up some of this, uh, <laughs> this building electrification. You never know. Um, and, uh, and, and just what a role that um, AI is going to have in our field, I think. Thanks to all of you for listening, and here's to our next Energy in 30.